Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Life is full of paradoxes. How can we each express our individuality and be a team player? How can we manage the core business now while also innovating for the future? For many people, these competing and interwoven demands are a source of conflict. My guest today, Wendy Smith, a professor at the University of Delaware, knows a lot about organizational behavior, having studied at Harvard Business School. She's done a ton of intensive research on strategic paradoxes and how leaders and senior teams can effectively respond to contradictory yet interdependent demands. Her recent co-authored book called Both and Thinking is fascinating and the premise of today's show. She explains that since our brains love to make either or choices, we choose one option over the other, yet we can deal with uncertainty by asserting certainty. By the end of this episode, you'll understand what both and thinking means, how to make more creative, flexible, and impactful decisions in a world of competing demands and really cope and thrive when multiple knotted tensions are happening at the same time. Please subscribe to Doing CX Right newsletter on my website to get lots of updates and valuable tips. I also appreciate if you follow my show on your favorite podcast channel and leave me a review. Feedback is a gift. Now let's get on with the show. Hello, Wendy Smith. Welcome to the Doing CX Right show. Hi, Stacey. Thanks so much for having me. I am so honored to have you for many reasons. I'll say three of them to start. One, that you are really a truly, by definition, a woman leader, and my audience will understand why soon. Two, love the book that you have written and the subject matter, which is the basis of this talk today. And three, University of Delaware, go, 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 because I have family members that go there right now. So, so happy to have you here today. Well, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. So before we get into the meat of this topic, first of all, tell the audience, who are you? What do you do professionally? Well, I guess my title is professor. And so that means that I get to be a scholar and researcher. I get to be a teacher, now an odd book author. Um, I get to engage with ideas. Mm. I love how you say I get to. And I want to pivot for one second on that because a lot of times in life, people say I have to, I need to. I am always saying, and a friend of mine taught me this, you get to, you get to wake up each day and you get to make those choices. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that um, one of the privileges that many of us have is to think about what we have in front of us and how we can make it work for us as best as possible. And I am privileged to be able to do that in this role. And I think many of us have the opportunity to ask ourselves, what's the way that I can make the conditions that are around me work for me as best as possible. Absolutely. Why? Why did you choose this career path? 
Yeah. I love that question. You know, I, uh, my colleague Marianne Lewis and I often talk about the paradox of knowledge. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. <laughs> and I love that I get to be in a role where I'm constantly asking questions, curious learning, and being able to bring ideas to people to help them learn. Because the more that I know the more I know that I don't know. And I'm happy to be able to think through that question. That's fantastic. And I agree. We don't know a lot, but the key is to surround ourselves around people who can keep inspiring us and teaching us. So, oh, I love that answer. What's one fact that people might not know about you? Hmm... You know, so I so I um, I'm a professor of leadership, and I teach about leadership. And I think one of the reasons I got into leadership was because when I was in high school, I really started learning about leading, engaging with leadership in high school in a high school youth group. And in fact, I was elected as the international president of that youth group when I was 18 or 19 years old. And for a long time, I never talked about that. Uh, but the more that I do work on leading leadership, certainly this idea of both and thinking and paradox, there's a direct line right back to that experience that I had as a teenager learning about leadership, leading and teaching about leadership. Mm. So let's talk about both and thinking. What does that mean? Yeah, so the starting place for both and thinking is to think about the kinds of challenges, dilemmas, issues, tensions, problems that we face in the world. So we're, we're constantly navigating problems and it's things as small as how do I manage my calendar and schedule for today or as big as, you know, what are the questions I'm going to ask about my career and my life going forward in our personal lives and, you know, in, in our work worlds, it's questions in customer experience. It's how do I make sure that I am attentive to each individual customer while being creating experiences more generally for a broader set of customers? Or how do I help customers, for example, think about, um, you know, what do they need for today while thinking about what I think that they could possibly use or something different than they, they don't even know that they need? There's all these ongoing questions, tensions, and issues. And what we know from our research is that we tend to look at these kinds of issues and tensions as an either or. What are the opposing options? How do I think about the pro-cons? How do I make a list and then choose between them? And in our work, what we find is that that kind of thinking, which is natural, which uh, makes us feel better because we want to make a decision and move forward, that it is, as we say in the book, we say it's, it's limited at best and detrimental at worst. And it's detrimental because it leaves us in this ongoing conflict between opposing ideas both and thinking invites us into thinking about what is underlying those dilemmas. The, we talk about it as the paradoxes, the interwoven opposites that we can accommodate simultaneously, that reinforce one another, that create synergies so that we're not necessarily, we're not making the either or decision. We're living in the both and between these competing and opposing demands. Mm. What's an example? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, we can think about an example in our, uh, the, the thing about both and thinking is that it applies across, you know, in our personal lives and in our individual decisions to our global problems. So in our individual life, we're constantly dealing with the either or of work and family. Mm. Where do we put our time and our energy? Uh, we're constantly dealing with the either or of how do I spend my time? Am I focused on performing and doing all the things that I do well or learning something new? You know, in, the, in our global world, we can think about the ongoing tensions, political polarization, climate change that are just filled with these kinds of tug of war tensions that show up. And, you know, if I think about work and life, for example, the either or in that, and, and this was one that just came up and we, we talked, you, you said early on, I, I study women and women's leadership and I lead a women's leadership center. One of the greatest challenges that I found as I was early in my career and having my children was this ongoing, you know, tug of war between Am I going to be at work? Am I going to be at home? When I'm at work, I feel like I'm being pulled toward home. When I'm at home, I feel like I'm being pulled toward work. I feel like I'm doing neither well. It's an issue that I think many of your female listeners and male listeners will will understand. It's an issue for parents, but it's also an issue for, for people who aren't parents and who just feel this constant tug of war between our career ambitions and doing well in our career and the rest of our lives. And certainly, Stacey, we've seen the pandemic has only exacerbated, has intensified that kind of tension. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we do a lot of either oaring in work life, for example. And if we shift our mindset, shift the questions we ask, shift how we think about those questions to how can we accommodate both work and the rest of our lives? And how can the work that we do inform and enable the rest of our lives? And how can the rest of our lives inform and enable our work and be more synergistic? It shifts the way we think about the problem and how we approach the solutions. Mm. So would you say the shift in this mindset is about not allowing us to go to extremes? Or should I say, well, the example that comes to my mind is we only have a certain amount of resources, people, money in a company. Yeah. And yeah. does a leader, the CEO... Do they put more of their their budget towards yeah. technology, more towards employee experience, more towards customer experience and satisfaction, right? So those choices are always being front and center. Yeah. Right. So what's the how do you think about the both and in that situation? I love that question. To answer it, I'll I'll tell you where I started on this journey was studying teams at IBM who were navigating this, this innovation question, which was, how do I innovate? How do I think about the future? And this was particularly around the time when we were shifting to cloud-based computing. So how do I move the technology to cloud-based computing, innovate, try new things so that I am in front of this technological wave and at the same time, manage my existing customers and the existing experience and, you know, millions, billions of dollars currently on the table. How do I live in that today and tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And exactly like you were saying, they ended up with these ongoing questions like, where do I put my sales team? Where do I, how do, how do I allocate my engineers? These are the limited resources that I have. How do I allocate my time at my business meetings? These are the limited resources that they have. And so... One of the things that became apparent to me as they did so was that, and we talk about this in the book, the importance of recognizing that we face these 
dilemmas, which are these issues that need a decision. How many salespeople am I putting to focus on the existing world? And am I creating a different sales team in order to try and sell this new innovation? How do I think about those resources? Those are the dilemmas that we face. What we suggest is that in order to manage them in a more complex way, it's not just, okay, how do I answer that question? It's starting with saying, what is the underlying more complex paradox that lies within each of our dilemmas? So in that situation, we have these ongoing tensions between the old and the new, today and tomorrow, stability and change, short-term, long-term. And it's those that we can't solve. It's those that we live in. But if we change our thinking to ask the question, how can I accommodate both what I need to do today and what I need to do tomorrow? How can I accommodate both stability in what we're doing and change? We introduce a whole bunch of new ways of responding and answering the question. And I'll just say, let me just say one more thing, because, um, you know, one of the things that I thought when I would be studying IBM is that by asking that question, they would come up with this ultimate win-win. And a lot of times when people think about both and thinking, they think there's this ultimate integrative win-win. And sometimes they did. We, and we talk about that as a creative integration, or we, we actually use the metaphor of a mule, right? The hybrid, the mule, the place where these things come together. And, you know, for IBM, when I studied that, there would be moments where they came up with this ultimate way of approaching the market where their sales team could go to their existing customers, introduce the innovation, and be able to attract both at the same time. But that was rare. Most of the time, what they were doing is what we, you, we use the metaphor of tightrope walking or um, what we call being consistently inconsistent. Hmm. And what that means is that they were making decisions. Where do I spend my money? Which, you know, the, the existing product, the innovation, the current customers, the new customers, they were making those decisions but they're making these micro shifts between new customer and existing customer going back and forth, being consistently inconsistent so that over time they're accommodating both needs simultaneously. And so we call it tightrope walking because you can imagine the tightrope walker for your, your listeners that are more sort of abstract or like metaphors, right? It's the tightrope walker who moves forward because by, by they're never fully balanced. They never find this like ultimate integrative win-win they're constantly making these micro shifts between left and right. They're balancing to get to, to keep moving forward between left and right. But they're not going so far, you know, to their existing customers or so far to their innovation that they fall over because they're, they're overemphasizing one hmm. or the other. What in your life inspired you to study this, to get involved in this? Yeah, well, indeed, um, you know, uh, part of the answer is that I was studying these teams at IBM and exploring how they navigated the existing world and the innovation. And it really struck me that they were doing something very unique, or the, the good ones, in trying to navigate these two competing demands simultaneously. And in fact, while I was studying these teams at IBM, my co-author and colleague, Marianne Lewis, had been studying product innovation. She had just written a fabulous award-winning paper on this idea of paradox. It was an idea that had intrigued me for a long time. I mean, this is an idea that's 2,500 years old. It goes back to Buddhism and Confucianism, and it goes back to Greek philosophy, you know, 2,500 years ago. But nobody was writing about this in organizational theory, and she was. 
And I emailed her and said, Marianne, I need to know everything you know. And that is what sparked and launched 25 years of our research together. Mm. Wow. I'm I'm so impressed and mesmerized, just have to say. When it comes to leaders, how do you see this concept applying in the workplace? What do you want leaders to know? Yeah, yeah. I love that. I, I mean, you know, so much of our work started out with leaders and leadership. And we've taken that work and said, actually, it applies in our individual lives. But so much of it started with how do leaders effectively lead their organizations? And, you know, we have an example in the book. We have Paul Pullman, who's an amazing leader who was the CEO of Unilever and took this product development firm from falling apart in 2008, right at the time of the global economic collapse to being the leader in sustainability, being able to double their profits while being one of the leaders in environmental and social you know, demand, social, social outcomes. What I want leaders to know is that tensions are not the problem. Tensions are natural. It's how we deal with those tensions. And like Paul Pullman, the, as he says, Tensions come up all the time. If they aren't surfaced, I go and ask my leaders what those tensions are and use them as a source of opportunity and creativity Hmm. rather than allow them to sort of hide away. And the way to do that is to look at these competing demands and start asking ourselves the question, how can we in our organization accommodate social missions and business profits in the markets? How can we accommodate both global integration across the world and local distinctions? How can we be both, you know, managing for today and managing for tomorrow? Changing that question invites in all kinds of new creativity for these organizations. There's a word that comes to my mind as I'm hearing you speak. Yeah. Optimism. Mm. I feel like this mindset is very positive and optimistic versus how we traditionally may think in a or, either or. Have you heard that before, that view? Well, I love that. Uh, Certainly, Marianne and I are very optimistic. We think that living in both and creates these energizing, virtuous cycles. And, And I don't want your listeners to walk away thinking that it's all rosy, One of the things that we talk about in the book is just how difficult living in paradox feels is it's really uncomfortable. It's not easy. And we see this all the time with leaders that, you know, being being open to both and means that we're leaving questions open. We're open to, we're, we're listening to people with very opposing positions. We're recognizing and honoring conflict. And it's really uncomfortable. And one of the things that we are really clear about is that while there is great opportunity in both and thinking, and we have seen, we've seen in our research that at the individual level, so I'll, I'll just say very quickly, this is, there's, there's great hope. So my research with our colleagues, Marianne, my colleague, Marianne Lewis, my co-author, and our colleagues, Ella Marone-Specter and Josh Keller and Amy Ingram, what we find is that people that adopt paradox mindsets are better performers in their job. They're more satisfied with their job. Leaders that adopt both and mindsets are more effective in their in their work. And it's really uncomfortable. So as I was saying, one of the things that we're really clear about in the book is that in order to live in this both and, 
you got to be able to find comfort in the discomfort. You've got to be able to deal with the uncertainty and the anxiety and the defensiveness and honor it, but not let it prevent you from thinking about new and possible possibilities, new possibilities. For my audience who are not only professionals, but parents. Yes. You working in academia, how does this come into play with students and, and then parents? What do you see with that? Yeah. Well, I am the parents of twins. Uh, it's my own little incubator of both and watching the two of them in relation to one another. They're now teenagers. I also have a 10-year-old. So I certainly see a lot of both and and what it means to help our next generation grow up in a world where they can honor diverse perspectives while simultaneously being their own individual uh, honoring their own identities. And, you know, Stacey, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about, we being um, Marianne and I, in, in the work that we've been doing is just how powerfully we're seeing either or thinking emerge in our world, in our politics and political polarization, and just how much us, them, and how detrimental that mindset has been to creating societies that are healthy and living in creative conflict, creative tensions, but rather in like really bitter and detrimental tensions. And if I had one message for my kids and their generation, it's to learn to be open to opposing perspectives and they don't have to agree, but be respectful and recognize that there are varied and different perspectives in the world that they can be open to and learn how to respect and listen to. Mm. That's beautiful. I'm going to have to play that for my, uh, my young adults. Yeah. What you're describing, when you say politics, I want people to also realize this isn't just uh, government politics, but inside companies, different places I've worked, that the leaders at the top, there's a lot of politics, there's a lot of conflict, and boy, I really want them to read your book because... Having yeah. both and thinking would create a better culture too. Absolutely. I mean, just think about it. Look, for a company to run well, we have to be disciplined, financially disciplined. We have to have some rules. And we also have to be creative and innovative and open. Well, that's intention right there. And you see those tensions play out, for example, between uh, whether it's your finance people and your R&D people. Well, both are really necessary for a sustainable company. So how do we open up and live into those different perspectives so that we could have creative discipline, so we can have boundaries and guardrails that enable us to be creative so that we can respect these different approaches and they can work together? That's true across the company. And again, you know, part of being an employee in a company is to recognize that we should be you know, we we should be passionate about what we bring to the table and look at the big picture and see what other people bring to the table. And part of being a leader in a company is creating the culture where we can all bring our different perspectives to the table and be able to work through them together. Mm. Do you find both in the university experience you have and in the corporate world you've had, it's not easy to... 
move a big boat. <laughs> it's yeah. not easy to get people to that agreement or change from either thinking. Right. So what advice do you have to people who are either change agents or want to be? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've worked with some great leaders in great companies. And uh, I think that that answer depends on whether you're at the top of the organization or whether you are or, or, or not. And I, you know, and, and, and the, well, actually, I'll say it a little differently. I think that the question is, what's the area in which you have some control and influence and how can you influence the conversation with both and? If you're at the top of the organization, you have a tremendous amount of influence to create a culture where when people start talking either or language, you stop and pause. You know, I worked with one company and um, we start with the very top of the company. The first thing we started with was how do we shift the language and the metaphors that we use? So one company that I worked with started to talk about breathing, right? In order to live, you have to breathe in and breathe out. So when these either or start come, started popping up, they'd say, okay, we got to breathe. We've got to breathe in and breathe out. So let's start by listening to different perspectives, honoring these different perspectives, seeing how they're distinct. We talk about this as being able to separate them and but also, and also find their connection. We talk about it as separating and connecting, finding their points of synergy. And at the top of the organization, you can start using the metaphors and the language to do that. And if you're in the organization, you can start using that language with your colleagues, with your with the people around you. Okay, so I hear you. You have a different opinion than me. I want to share my opinion. How do we come to a both and? I, you know, I just had a colleague talk to me about having to do that the other day where she was in conflict with a colleague of hers. It was an ongoing conflict. The first step was to say, hey, I want to come to a both and. We both have, and let's frame the integrative overarching vision to get there. I want to get there because we both believe in this integrative vision. Let me listen to your perspective. I'd like to share mine. And then let's figure out how to get there. And that just changes the whole conversation. Then the conversation that says, you've been saying this, I've been saying this, you've been saying, and, and where you're constantly in that ongoing fighting. Mm. Well, you're reminding that words matter. <laughs> Tremendously. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So if I had a ton of CEOs and leaders, of top brands in my room right now, what advice, what's your one takeaway you want them to remember? Change the question. Here's what I mean by that. You know, we just said language matters. And so the it so uh, we, we often cite a, a psychologist, Paul Wasilek, the problem is not the problem. The problem is how we think about the problem. And when people ask, well, how do I start both and thinking? We, we say, you got to start by changing the question, right? So if you want to meditate and really get into a Zen state, the first thing you have to do is just focus on your breath. Like that, if you want to get into both and thinking, the first thing you have to do is change the question that when we are confronted with these kinds of tensions, either ors, to hear the either or and start with shifting a question from, should we do this or this? Should I engage this or this? To how can we accommodate this and this? How can we, for IBM, both engage you know, sustain our, our customers for day and innovate for tomorrow? How can we 
approach and enable the unique customer experience of this one customer and come up with a more global and you know universal approach to customer integration. How could Unilever both think about being socially driven, mission driven, and double their, their profits? And as soon as we change the question, it recognizes or it invites us into thinking about the problem in a different way that introduces or invites us into alternative solutions. So change the question. That makes so much sense. And I think others are going to think about that, reflect that, and change their question. Final, final question for you. And I don't want it to end, but (laughs) (laughs) if you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self, what would you tell you now that you didn't know then? Oh, I love that. Stacey, you know, I, I had said to you that when I was 18, 19, I was this international president. I was on top of the world. I thought I was like, you know. And then I went to college. I went to Yale University and I got there. And, you know, as special as I thought I was, everybody was talented and special and unique. And I just fell significantly and started to ask about my worth and value and, and ability to be successful If I were to go back and tell my 20-year-old self something, it would be to be able to live in that uncertainty and um, to know that you are exactly what you need to be and you're constantly changing and to constantly to be open to that learning and be open to exactly who you are. You know, One of my favorite lines is from a Greek philosopher from 2,500 years ago, Heraclitus. And he's the one who said, no person ever steps in the same river twice because the person's constantly changing and the river's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really valuable to realize that amidst all the uncertainty that we experience in life, we're constantly changing, shifting, growing you know, if we can live into that uncertainty and be able to be uh, adaptive and resilient and let go of the anxiety, um, the more creative that we are. And so that's what I would tell my 20-year-old self. And to bring it back to the beginning, be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And be comfortable with the discomfort. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I am so honored again to have you today. And in my show notes, I will link to your book, the website, and what is the best place to reach you if people want to learn more? Yeah, so we uh, they can go to bothandthinking.net uh, and find out more about the book and our contact information is there uh, and they can reach me through that. Well, again, thank you. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacy Sherman, Doing CX Right.